everybody and welcome to this thesis theatre. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, today we are with Anne-Marie Gazzolo, who has been a student at Signum since 2012. And uh, she is the author of Moments of Grace and Spiritual Warfare in the Lord of the Rings, uh, Chosen, The Journeys of Bilbo and Frodo of the Shire, and a companion piece, The Long Way Home, which is a collection of poems centred about a heroic quest and its aftermath. And I believe once this is all over and done with, and Marie, two fantasy series anxiously await their turn to come out. Is that the case? Right, right. I'm working on those now. The Excellent. So we just got to get this finished and you can get on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been working right, on the thesis, so yeah. <laughs> all right, well, it's good to have something to move on to once you're done with this, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, we will get started on discussing Anne-Marie's thesis in a moment. But just to let you know that if you have any questions while we're going through this thesis theatre, please feel free to put them into the chat box. Um, I will keep my eye on that chat box and I will use those questions um, at some point during this thesis theatre. Okay, so Anne-Marie, the quality of pity and mercy in The Lord of the Rings. Can we start by you giving us, first of all, the full title of your thesis, and then can you give us a brief overview of that thesis? Okay, well, I called it, um, it is Harry here by my side. I called it N Nenya, Lady of Pity and Mercy and the Fall of Sauron. Hmm. Okay. And I I chose to do that. Originally, I was just going to speak on pity and mercy just in general and how important that was because it is all over the place, in especially in Lord of the Rings. Um, and it starts, of course, in the Hobbit, but it's also in the Cimmerillion. And I read then an essay um, on, on Ninia, and that really opened my eyes as to really her, in, in, you know, invisible presence uh, throughout the whole thing through through um, Gandalf mm -hmm. and what he brought from what he learned from her and what he taught uh, Frodo and Aragorn and Faramir and and how they were able to pass that along to others and and so that this was kind of like in this thread that which I wasn't aware of before which kind of tied things you know together um in a way that I had never even considered before and I don't think anyone else has considered outside this one essay by um, Christine Larson which was so wonderful <laughs> Mm -hmm. We'll talk about, obviously, uh, some of the works that you've used during your thesis uh, process anyway. But, I mean, Niena, it, she's clearly a, an important character for you, but she doesn't appear all that much, actually, in the text, does she? She's just momentarily in the Silmarillion. Right, right. And that's probably why, you know, I didn't, when I was doing the research, I really didn't find anything that spoke to her of her uh, outside Larson's essay that mm. that really said anything beyond, well, yeah, she was one of the Valar and she cried a lot. I mean, they, <laughs> you know, you saw a lot of that, uh, Ed, but you didn't really see that that I found um, in anything addressing her in depth. And But then as I was doing the research in all business, I was, that really, showed me that she really was important and 
and I wonder whether even you know the professor himself um, realized um, how important because it is you know unless you really really have your eyes open, which my eyes were open by Larson's essay, that it could be very easily missed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah. here we have a character who blink and you miss her and an element that she brings to the text blink and you miss it and yet you chose to write on this so can you explain what drew you to this why did you choose this particular topic well i i wanted to i mean even from a year ago or at least um wanted to do the the topic of a, a pity for golem and how that was so important to to the whole tale and to the whole history of Middle Earth, um, and then I just you know I kept reading more and then I came across uh, the Ninja article and she was always one of my favorite Bella. I've only read the Cimmerillion through once, uh, but I've read parts of it um, more than once. And that yeah, and the creation story is you know one of my favorite sections I like Barbarian Luthien also. Um those are all only two parts I've really gone back to. And that is I mean you're right, you know, blink your miss it that one the one little sentence about um um you know Gandalf's learning at his at her feet in offices and it's just, you know, just you know about you the passing and but you know when you when you look at all the connect the dots and all of this um that this is you know a big huge thread that's running through the whole, mm -hmm. whole thing mm -hmm. that brought and that he brought you know her you know the heart really with her with him and and showed it to other people and then they were able to um you know, extended to others. I, I, I mean, it would be a stretch since there's no evidence or all business. But I wonder whether even the, the um, pity that welled up in Bilbo, we know that came from an external source. I wonder whether he could even have come from her. Hmm. I mean, everyone would, you know, from a Christian point of view, think it just came from a Luator, but maybe it came from Nanny also. Um, so. I mean, you can, you know, you can kind of see that because, of course, Gandalf was not there to inspire him like he inspired everyone else. So, so it did come from sort of external source, um, you know, so you do wonder. Okay, so can you give us a little flavor of the sorts of arguments that you make in your thesis? Um, about how important it is or? Just some of the uh, some of the main points that you make in your thesis, so we can get a really good overview of everything that you're yeah, talking well, about. Think, um, how, I mean, two two of the two of the big points is the seeing someone else who is so totally different from you, you know, the other, which is such a Apart from even these days and opposites of the hatred that different groups have for each other and opposites, um, and not, and to see see the person as a person, to not not see 
um, them just as a label or as, you know, so like when, when, you know, Frodo, you know, is all out, hot front Colin's blood and all of this, and Gandalf says, well, you have not seen him, that he, he knows that once Frodo does that, you know, that his heart is going to change or, you know, guesses that's going to happen and that you see the see you know, beyond Gollum and you see Smeagol and you, you know, you see, um, so, and that you actually do have, you know, something in common with. And I think the, I think the ring itself, um, unwittingly, of course, um, opens Frodo's eyes too. Um, and so, I mean, that is so important what the journey that he goes on to, you know, it's a pity that Bilbo didn't kill him, to now that I see them, I do pity him. And that huge journey opened up his eyes from, by Gandalf, but also by the ring itself and the suffering that that caused and knowing that Smeagol had suffered so much more. And there was still a little bit of Smeagol left, I mean, which is mm -hmm. amazing after after centuries and you know and it doesn't sound like you know Smeagol was you know two um great shakes to begin with I mean not not so morally strong as Frodo and Sam and Gandalf Aragorn etc are that but that he was still able to withstand mm -hmm. doesn't have a little bit of himself still left that that Frodo tried to reach and that Gandalf hoped for his cure and so, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's just one of the more inspiring things. I think it's, I mean, really is, I think, a love story in the, the Frodo and Smeagol and love at the deepest, purest sense that of care for someone else's soul and all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, if there was one particular point that you had to choose from your thesis that you would say is the central argument that you're making, what would that point be? Well, I think part of it is the seeing the other, not as an enemy, but as a fellow human being, but also what Gandalf said about sparing a life and giving the opportunities for redemption, um, you know, not, not even the very wise can see all ends, that like you don't know what a life is what impact that life could have either on you or on on someone else and not to, you know, um, as Bilbo did, you know, not to strike without need. And, mm -hmm. and that comes to the same point himself. Um, and Sam is like, well, you know, let's just take the guy out. And and Proto's like, well, you know, we can't do that because, you know, he actually hasn't tried to do anything bad yet. So we can't punish him for something he hasn't done yet, mm -hmm. which is, course the same point that Bubble reached. Um, so I think just uh, give the possibilities of redemption just like Saruman is given possibilities of redemption mm -hmm. also and it's up to the person to take it or not but that you extend it you give the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just I mean on the topic of redemption which clearly is, is central to what you're thinking about in terms of the Lord of the Rings um, what do you think about the idea of whether orcs have the possibility of redemption? Is there pity and mercy for them? 
<clears throat> haven't I know I've I've looked into that Pisatini, uh, but I know it wasn't part of your thesis. One, one time, but actually, it would be interesting to do a fan fiction story of that, which I never did. But I th I'd like to think that they would be, um, because if they were um, just corrupted elves. Or at least in the beginning, they were. I just certainly, I mean, habits are my area of expertise. But um, then they were not created um, in evil and all business. Um, they were corrupted. But so I think that they would be a possibility if someone was, you know, you know, I'm, I don't know what I want to say, brave enough or. <laughs> wise enough or whatever to actually take on the task mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I think if um because I don't think I don't think that that you know I don't think that Golem really could be redeemed because Golem was born in evil out of Deagle's murder but I but I really do this you know, I would hope for Smeagol. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. they're really, I mean, it's the same person, but it's, I think they're different, but they're different, you know? I mean, they're, um, Smeagol did not, in my opinion, you know, deserve five centuries of hell. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yes, he murdered. Few people do, I would imagine. But did he really deserve that, mm. that tremendous hell? Mm. Mm -hmm. And that he's still able to, to hold on to a, just a shred of himself. I mean, um, I think that's huge. Um, so I don't really have any hope for, for Golem, but one, and I'm not even, it doesn't even sound like that um, Tolkien had much hope for Schmeagol. But I don't like the people that that speak like, Say Golem when they mention Smeagol, because Smeagol would really break your heart. Golem, mm -hmm. I mean, who likes Golem? But, but Smeagol. There are moments for Smeagol. I think there's there some hope for him, and I think there, for the same reason, there could be hope for orcs, because, mm -hmm. you know, nothing, they weren't, you know, born into evil. They were corrupted in offices, um, Smeagol and, and orcs. So maybe they never knew. Like orcs probably never knew goodness, really. Mm -hmm. But if it presented to them, maybe they would actually, you know, have some sort of vain awareness that hey, maybe I could choose another path in life. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly something that Tolkien struggled with, wasn't it? The idea of redemption for the orcs, which is why yeah. he came up with so many alternatives for their origins, um, because the, the the Christian in him couldn't actually come to terms with the idea of having created creatures for whom there was no possibility of redemption. Um, that just didn't gel with his beliefs. So, right. yeah, yeah, I, I like the distinction you're drawing between Gollum and Smeagol actually there, because you're right, Smeagol is heartbreaking. Uh, and I'm thinking of particularly that moment uh, on the stairs of Kirithungol where he reaches out to touch Frodo's knee. Mm. Um, and there's, there's like this, possibility there this this moment right. where something different could have happened but right. Sam wakes right. up and prevents him from doing what he was doing and it's just a, a moment where 
in the description it says that he looks like this tired old man um and it is it is heartbreaking isn't it yeah because um, i think yeah. that he i mean sam didn't do it deliberately didn't even do it knowingly but yeah that that is the moment of smeagol's death golem dies at mount doom but smeagol mm -hmm. dies then and mm -hmm. um, i mean it is it is extremely tragic because it it really does i mean i i like the ideas of that you know you read in the professor's letters that you know he kind of played around the ideas of it you know aus and alternate universes and that maybe smeagol would have voluntarily cast himself into the fire uh, out of love and also out of his realization that he couldn't give up the ring mm -hmm. uh, um but out of out of love to save save from Frodo and all that. so I mean it's it I I love the ideas of how things could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah. Maybe the sliding maybe doors. He was saved because you know like I mean I bring out in the paper. I mean if Ninia can you know ask before her fellow vile efforts you know pity and forgiveness of you know, I mean, basically who is the devil himself um I think she could also plead for Smeagol. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just an interesting, interesting idea to think yes, about. Yes, definitely. Uh, and in fact, um, I've got a, a question in the question box from Kate Neville, which is directly about this. Uh, we've got a few other questions, but I will come back to those. But this one says, if Smeagol is of Hobbit kind, and Smeagol is able to hold on to a fragment of humanity after such a long time, does that say something about the nature of hobbits and why they are able to respond with pity? Well, they do seem to be uh, extremely resilient to the evil of the ring. They're not, you know, aware of their creator, but I think they must have been somehow given the, um, you know, the grace, the strength, whatever you want to call it, to to be able to withstand what what men um, could not, and what Gandalf himself even knows as an incarnate angel knows that he would not be able to. Isidore fell on flat on his face, and it it might appear that that Smeagol immediately falls also, but my personal theory is that. Since he lived, his people lived, you know, near the Gladden Fields where the ring was, you know, for lost for, you know, 2,000, 2,500 years, whatever, um, that, you know, it could have just been poisoning him slowly this whole time. And then what seems to be immediate fall, um, maybe this the, the last moment before, you know, this long seduction, the, the, the consummation of it. Um, but you know you i mean you can look at it that way you know, or you could just say well man he fell flat on his face and what was why did he do that if he was hobbit kind but maybe he just slowly 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 weakened because i don't mm -hmm. think anyone just falls into evil just just like that huh i mean so. th there are obviously there are examples of hobbits who um aren't you know uh, as good as others we you know ted sandyman right, for right. example so yeah, there are you don't want to have, right you don't want to have ted with the ring or 
or local. No. But no. I mean, they are they are extremely resilient, and I mean, they would and as like anyone would have fallen eventually. Um, you know, Bilbo still addicted decades after. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yeah. And then Sam would have fallen too. Um, had he held it any longer. Um, mm -hmm. But um, that's you know, it's good that that he didn't. And I and I and I don't really hold that that Frodo gave in. He did give in, but I think the ring claimed him rather. More than Frodo claiming the ring. Way around, I don't really hmm. see that he had free will at that point. Uh, he, I, I think, you know, beats himself up later for thinking that, but um, I, I don't think he really did have full control of his will, and he was very aware of that. He was mm -hmm. um, up to that point. He was, he was, you know, I'm almost in his power now. I mean, he is aware that that. Um, the ring is getting more and more control. And that means basically like a tragedy that he did not realize that was the culmination at the end. And all of a sudden thinks that he's free to do what he wants. Well, he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Kate Neville says she uh, really likes your theory about um, the ring being in the river um, right where Gollum was living, and that this may have caused some form of spiritual pollution. She calls it in the uh, in the yeah. chat box. She likes that theory. Um, but there's there's also um, Claire Rohan has put in the chat box, picking up on this idea of being addicted to the ring. Uh, she says, "Would you say that the addiction to the ring is what more perverted Smeagol's person than the murder he committed?" Um, and as with any person's addiction, it is still separate from the person. So you've got the addiction and you have the person and they're not one and the same. Um, addiction is not a person's identity in itself, but is separate from them and therefore leaves the door open to redemption. So is it more the addiction to the ring that perverts Smeagol rather than something inherent in Smeagol himself? I think, um, and hi, Claire. She's my sister. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, um, I think, um, I think definitely the ring did, per, did pervert, um, Smeagol and that was the main, the main cause of his, um, terrible suffering and all of this, uh, the, the ring and, and being so dominated by Golem, who was, you know, so, I mean, I think the, I mean, the Lord of the Rings movie does, does it well with the, the first time I saw that before, I saw the movies before I read the books. You know, when you have the scene with and Two Towers with Smeagol and Golem talking to each mm -hmm. other, which is like my second favorite scene in that whole movie. I was looking at Golem at these really two different people. I mean, it is done so well with the with the, with the uh, multiple person. I mean, the split personality that's in there. So I think the addiction of the ring and the and 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 the presence of Golem as a separate entity. You know, always beating you down, all of this. Um, so that's why I have you have you have pity. And we always talk about pity for Gollum um, or pity extended to Gollum, but we're really talking about pity for for Smeagol. And mm -hmm. and I think there is it's good to make you know, that distinction. You know, you could argue that for you know hope for redemption. 
for him because I think he did have some certainly some inherent um, flaws to begin with that the ring was able to exploit uh, and worsened. Um, but in, in, yeah, I see, I see that see him as an addicted soul that you so you have and I I bring it up in the paper slightly that that Frodo had to get to that point himself of you know an addict understanding another addict. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you had to, you had to, you know, be in the skin for a little bit before you could truly understand. And I think that's exactly what, what you know, Bibble, Bibble had that glimpse. Um, Sam, you know, had at that, that critical point. Um, he had that glimpse that he 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 had been briefly a ring bearer himself. He just had a sliver of of what, but that was enough to to um have him see golem as who as you know um as a person that you know like terribly suffering and all this so that's why he was able to get pity also and that was just mm -hmm. like paramount mm -hmm. although the ones would have been wasted if sam had not given that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah it really is an interesting journey that they all go on mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, so Scott Hodgman is asking specifically about the word pity, um, which is an interesting and intentional choice, he says, by Professor Tolkien. Um, now, I know that your thesis wasn't about his use of language. It was about pity as a theme. Um, but have you any ideas about why you think he chose um, a Middle English word that comes from Old French. It's, it's obviously it's from pitié, um, French, uh, rather than the opposite, which is the Old English cognate like Ruth and ruthless. Um, I don't know if you have, you looked into that at all. Well, I did a little, just a little, in that that pity and pietas, if I'm saying that right, um, were, were once originally connected, and there are definitely some elements. Of that pietas in the devotion to um, a, either a person or a cause or Frodo, uh, you know, Sam to Frodo, Frodo to the quest, Aragorn to the whole his long uh, long journey to to the kingship and to um, to Arwen. Um, I didn't. I haven't. I don't really think I consider that a whole a whole lot why he chose that particular word. I mean, uh, it meant something to him. Um, obviously, but maybe, um, and I'm going out on a limb here, maybe, you know, also the, um, the, um, his service in World War One or something, maybe, uh, shaped some views also. I, I don't know. I don't, I can't, I can't speak to that with any authority there, but. <laughs> okay. Um, so at the start of this talk, you mentioned uh, an essay that particularly inspired you to write about pity and mercy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that text, that uh, that essay you were referring to? Um, yeah, that was in um, an essay, a collection of essays on perilous and fair uh, that um, Jen and Brennan Croft um, edited. Um, and I think someone else did also. Um, and that was just about That's the treatment. Chris Perilous and fair. Yeah, the, the the treatment of of 
um, women in in the works. Because mm -hmm. one, I mean, that's I mean that's something that I personally do not understand myself. Saying that 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 the professor had no strong women. I go, well, hey, you know, like A1, you know, Luthan, um, you know, they're they're two strong people right there, and all this, which is you know, it's amazing what those women were able to do. So I think that's ridiculous to say. Malian, Gladria. I mean, mm -hmm. give me a break, you know. Um, but, and, and of course, you know, Gladria is also strong too, but I think mm -hmm. the, but I think Luthien, I mean, <laughs> what she does for Out of Love is just you know, amazing and, that, and they would take on the Witch King and, and um, so, but the, the this essay, and this is why I bought that book is, is because it was just on Nenya um, and the power of mercy, mercy and power and pity and tears, I think it was called. Um, and it laid out how, how Nenya started out as this really terrible person and I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, F-U-I, um, started out just as this really merciless, pitiless, um, person in charge of, of um, um, judging the souls of men after they died. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, like there was no mercy in that court. And she did, you know, if the, if someone merited going to, to Valinor, which, um, you know, that wouldn't happen at this point, um, they went there, but she also drove people into hell. And to, most of the people went to the equivalent of purgatory. Um, some people went to Mandel's, but she was like, okay, this is what you merit. Uh, this is where you're getting. I mean, there was no, no mercy, no pity, no, you know, she was, a, you know, this justice itself. And um, you don't want to meet her in the dark alley or even a well-lit alley. Um, then that was only in the first, set, first um, um, version of these tales. And then you meet Nanya, who's the exact opposite. And that people, Call to her, and and she gets mercy, and she's you know weeping for the the tears and all of this, and this is who Gandalf learns from. You know, you know, one tries to think what he would have learned from the other. Um, so I did. That was, and she's the one that brought up the, the how important Nanny really is. I mean, she's barely mentioned, but how really important she is to the whole tale, and. That the uh, that she does have this invisible presence through through Gandalf in the tale. So it really changed my whole whole angle of um, approaching mm -hmm. the thing. Mm -hmm. It's nice when you get something that really inspires you, and you look at that and you think, "Oh, that's something yeah. I haven't thought yeah. of before." And go diving in. Yeah, and, and bring something different to the to the um, scholarship that's that's out there and all of this. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so during this process of writing your thesis, I know working with you that you had a multitude of ideas, vast numbers of ideas, uh, and for some reasons, you know, obviously to keep it down to the size that you're allowed to do, you had to kill your darlings, you had to get rid of some of your ideas. Um, so what sorts of ideas were you unable to keep in your thesis? in the end uh, and um, why did you decide that you also then had to cut them out? Well, it was, 
originally, as I said, that it was going to be more just an exploration of pity and mercy as, as that is the theme and not tied to any particular, you know, person or anything. But after I, I noticed this thread, I took out the, the stuff that I did not think were direct, was directly tied to Nenya, as in the um, Elven King's pity for the men of Lake Town. Um, there were um, so, some other elements, um, Bilbo, um, more like in more in the Hobbit, um, not Bilbo, um, Balin, and saying it might be, you know, our mercy that you found the weak spot of small, you know, something good might come out of it. But um, so there were some elements that that I did take out um, to have this more of a focus on what I thought um, was. Um, really more the handiwork of, of Nenya. Mm -hmm. So it's part of the natural process, isn't it, of uh, creating a thesis is that you you start off with one idea and you can often meander down different paths until you find the absolute focus. Mm -hmm. This is the core thesis, if you yeah. like, of my writing. And then, yeah, uh, and obviously ideas then have to drop off along the way, don't they? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I mean, despite all of that and having to cut some ideas out, you have a completed thesis. But if I'd said to you, hey, Amory, how about you write 30,000 words instead? How would you have expanded your thesis? Where would you have taken what you've done and moved it forward? Well, I did um, play around the ideas of, um, I mean, you could either bring in some other um, examples from other literature, um, you know, comparing like um, Frankenstein to Golem or something. I kind of played briefly around that, but I didn't really seriously consider doing that. I also more seriously considered it than after I, especially after I got to the Nenio theme, was founded using examples from the primary world. Um, so I thought of uh, Marcus uh, Luttrell's book, um, Lone Survivor, mm -hmm. which um, directly um, deals with the, the same choice that, that Bilbo and, and Frodo face with what to do with Gollum when they come across um, um, some tribesmen um, in Afghanistan upon their secret location and whether they should really do a preemptive strike and save their own skins because, you know, these people could possibly betray them. Um, but they reached the same um, agreement, uh, same conclusion that that um, Bilbo and Frodo do, they can't execute, you know, someone for a crime they haven't yet committed. Now, their their pity and mercy had for some themselves a very tragic consequences because they were indeed betrayed. Um, but that does not take away their, that they made the right choice, that mm -hmm. it wasn't a, extremely heroic thing to do with the full knowledge that things could go south and they did indeed do which fortunately mm. didn't happen to Bilbo and Proto but very very tragically and and Marcus was indeed the lone survivor of that mission. Um, there is another book that also directly deals with the same situation um, The Lion of Sabre um, which is from the Afghan man who saved Marcus's life uh, from his point of view. And that, I mean, these are all great books um, that he had to, and he and his entire village really risked their lives to save Marcus from the Taliban. And and 
the man felt very directly, very clearly called by God to save this man's life. He felt a very, I mean, it was really kind of like a voice from heaven, you know, saying, you're going to save this man. And this mm -hmm. was an American. This was an enemy. And he still obeyed that call. Mm -hmm. And there was one other book that I read, um, I Who Did Not Die, which also is, it takes place during the Iran-Iraq War. And it was about saving the enemy combatant's life, giving mm -hmm. mercy to that, to that person. And that you, you know, coming upon them in battle, injured, and the person, you know, like saying, I'm, I'm Muslim, just like you, and all this, and, you know, begging for, and, and being, being given um, that even though they were on the opposite sides of that war and are now really brothers of the heart and all this, and that's so, I mean, these are all really love stories mm -hmm. uh, of the, of the purest kind. And, those are things that I think directly are parallels to what happens with um, Bilbo and Frodo and 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 um, so on. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, that would obviously be uh, a very interesting expansion to your thesis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could see that expansion come through in some conference papers one day or something <laughs> like that. That would always be good. Yeah, I mean, I did find the military so inspiring um, because mm -hmm. they really know what love is and, and the sacrifices that they're ready to make. Um, and the, and they, the love that they're really, really ready to extend to to even their their enemies. Um, so, okay. yeah. So here you are at the end of your thesis journey and um like any student that's got to this point there's been a lot of hard work on your part you've put many 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 hours into producing this this final piece of work it's been quite a process it always is isn't it something like this i mean you're a writer anyway so you know that going from the blank page to the finished product there's blood sweat and tears goes into that process but what do you think you personally have learned or gained from completing this thesis? What has it given you? Well, I think, I mean, I, I, as you say, I have written the two books, which are much longer in offices, but still, I, this is the first scholarly um, for, for these classes, that the, the length um, that I did. Um, Board. So, I mean, originally when I was um, heard about it only being 30 pages, I go, oh man, that's a drag because I, I mean, I wanted to turn a whole other book into it, you know. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, good, it's only 30. So, <laughs> uh, but it, it was, and it, I think it turned out well, and it was, you know, definitely a, um, a, a marathon, not sprint, as they say. Um, but I'm, ple I'm pleased with it. I think it helps that I already love research because I'm just one of those nutty people that that do. And that's actually why I, went, I started back to school because I had been wanting to do that. And I'm thinking, wow, 
can write about Myrtle Earth and go ahead and write papers at the same time. I mean, this is so cool. Um, <laughs> so, that, and I had a question my sanity several times during this process. Um, but it, it has really been a great experience. And I'm looking forward to further insanity with the um, PhD when that comes available. And we'll put to my hand. Further insanity is guaranteed with a PhD. But, I can promise yeah. you that. I'm thinking maybe I'm just changing gears and doing maybe something, um, you know, authoring. Um, and maybe uh, not necessarily the, the legends as they came down, you know, like Mallory and all that, which I don't really care for, but how how Arthur May is treated in um, like Jack White's books, um, Stephen Lawhead's books. Um, more of an historical character or in the time period that he really would have existed if he indeed did, which I, I think there is, you know, some good evidence on not Arthur and Guinevere and all that other stuff um, as the legends have it, but as a, some sort of war leader, you know, in, in the post-Roman um, 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 world, but I think it's a, you know, possibility. So I, you know, see another obsession, you know, mm -hmm. possibly mm -hmm. happen. I, I love my obsessions. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so other students who are approaching this point in their academic careers are other Signum students, some of whom will be watching now, and some of whom may be watching the uh, the recording. What advice would you give them? those who are about to begin this part of their master's degree? Take a deep breath. <laughs> More than once. Um, but yeah, this is, um, this is a very intense um, six months. And mm. to prepare ahead of time as much as possible, to know, have an idea, what you want to do before the whole six months starts. So, I mean, which you're going to have to do anyways because of your having to do the proposal and all business. But have a good idea what you want to do. Um, already have started your your research, at least finding the sources, because you're going to have a ton to read, a ton. And, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're just, um, you know, a speed reader or something, which I am not, um, you, you, you're going to really have a lot of time spent just reading. And I did go through, as you know, my little freak out stage in the beginning. When I'm thinking, oh man, I got to read four books. Awesome. I got to read all this other stuff. I got run book reports on these things and longer <laughs> book reports than I've ever done. I mean, are you nuts? And then after I did the first report, I said, wow, I can do this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, it is a learning process and it does get easier. But I would definitely suggest starting your first draft in the breaks between the two, the reading class and the writing class. I did that. I started out like three weeks a month out or something. And mm. I'm glad I did because I really needed that time. The first mm -hmm. draft was the hardest. Um, the second and third ones, because I worked so hard in the first one, really weren't weren't bad at all. I, I knocked those out in a few days. but the the um the first one you really have to work on and make that as good as you can get it knowing that you will have to improve upon it but but really mm -hmm. work on making that the best thing you can do um 
right from the beginning because they're all cause you a lot less work later on. Yeah. Mm. Giving birth to that first draft is yeah. that's hard work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is true. Okay, I can see there is one last question here in the question box from Scott Hodgman. Uh, and it, it pulls us back to kind of the where we were starting uh, at the beginning of this thesis theatre. He says it's a wonderful topic and title. Um, and he'd like to know if you were more drawn to the idea of pity or more drawn to Niena herself. Or was there something else that kind of pulled the two together? I, I think, I mean, pity all along. And I and I bring it up in both my books too. That I think pity all along was was interest, and that was going to be, you know, the focus on all of this. But then I discovered this by Nania, and she's already like my um, favorite Valar, and Elbrus will be up there too. Um, and I like to think that that she was, you know, instrumental in in Frodo's healing after he went west. I think that that you could have someone that you could cry with and that mm -hmm. would sympathize with you. And I, and I think, I think maybe, and I would hope, I even did a fan fiction on this. I would hope that Calabrian, um, Calabrian, I like that pronunciation better. I've heard it both ways. Um, Calabrian had, found a, uh, you know, that Proto found a kindred spirit in her too because she went west for the same reason um, that she was violated by evil and and couldn't deal with it in Middle Earth and went west for healing. Same reason he went west. So mm -hmm. I think that those two people and SD two maybe you know that that he had so many people that that could sympathize with him and could help in his healing and not not judge him but just realize you know like you know just help him you know find the safe place that that he could heal so i i think that i mean i think i was drawn more and more to nenya um after i really read the essay i'm thinking oh this is like so cool i mean i can really do this i can and i can i the the idea brings some new new view that i hadn't encountered i mean pitting golem um is all over the place and you got you know, tons of ink spilled over that, but except for Larson, I really didn't find anything. Why that do you think that is? Why yeah. is this? Yeah. People think when you realize you see how terribly important she is, you would think other people would have seen it. Mm -hmm. So and they did, and I just didn't discover it. But it, you know, it didn't. It was not high in Google searches. So. Um, yeah, so I, I'm just glad to be able to put something out there that, mm -hmm. it's out, you know, hadn't really been considered. One of the beauties of Tolkien studies, though, isn't it, that we keep finding things, keep finding yeah. new things yeah. to talk about. New things all the time and all the things, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, looking at the question board, I think we are out of questions. So I think we are all done. I want to say well done to you, Anne-Marie, okay, because thank you. getting to this stage is an achievement. It's totally an achievement for anybody who gets to this point. So my round of applause to you because you've done it. You are now 
finished. You are done. Kate Neville is doing the applause in the chat box as well. We, we do applaud you. I applaud any student who completes their studies because it is definitely an achievement. So fantastic job and well done to you. Uh, and of course, your thesis will be available in the Signal Library for all of those who have access. Scott Hodgman says, thank you for sharing. Congratulations. Claire yeah. Rohan, your sister apparently says, woohoo, congratulations, Anne. So, thank you. Lots and lots of uh, happiness and congratulations going on the chat board for you. So very, very well done. And yeah. uh, thank you for allowing me on the uh, journey with you. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much. Okay, so thank you very much to everybody to um, for joining us here today for this thesis theatre with Anne-Marie. Uh, and um, I hope that those of you who have that interest will hop along to the Signum Library at some point and, and uh, download Anne-Marie's thesis and have a read of it, because I promise you there's some really, really interesting stuff in there. Okay. Right. Thank you very much, everybody and uh, join us next time for the next one. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Good night.